0: Much better, much better tuned. Oh yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah, oh, really has good. It's been tuned, has it? Yeah, just this week. Oh right, that's excellent. Okay, please take a seat. Thank you. And please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. And we're continuing our series on Noah's Ark, Genesis 6 through 9, by looking today at Genesis 8. And then next week we'll probably pause our series on Noah's Ark. We've got a visitor service next week, so we'll probably look at something from the Gospels, and then we'll come, come back and finish our series on Noah's Ark. There's an old Christian saying that goes like this Do you want to hear God laugh? Tell him your plans. Tell him your plans. And he laughs not because our plans are so different to his, and he laughs not because our plans seem so foolish alongside his plans. He laughs because our plans are so pitiful. And so we pitch them so much lower than the way he pitches them. Our plans are so pitiful when compared to his plans. Now, what is God's plan? We're going to see his plan for his creation from Genesis chapter 8, where God compresses into one year a picture of the time between Jesus' ascension into heaven and his return in judgment. So that's what we're going to see today in Genesis chapter 8. We're going to see a picture of time and history between the ascension of Christ and his return, a picture of that time portrayed here in Genesis chapter 8 as the floods recede from Noah's Ark. So, so far we have seen in our series on Genesis chapter 6 9. Beginning in chapter 6 verse 5 we saw that God looked upon humanity and he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so in Genesis chapter 7 we saw God's fierce judgment upon a sinful world, a world whose hearts had turned against God. And we saw in Genesis chapter 7 how God destroyed that firmament that he had made on the second day of creation in Genesis chapter 1, that breathing space, the rains came down, the floods came up, destroying that that breathing space, that firmament where human life and animal life could exist. And we saw God destroying what he had made on the third day of creation, which was the dry land and vegetation. We saw that whereas God had gathered the waters together on day three, making uh, dry land and a place for humanity to live, now the waters are ungathered and the land is flooded and his work of the third day is destroyed. And we saw in Genesis chapter 7 how God destroyed the air-breathing animals and even his image-bearers, sinful humanity, because our hearts had turned against him and were filled with evil continually. But we also saw how God, in his grace and mercy, kept Noah safe in his ark, in the Lord's ark. And we saw how, although the judgment of God, as it were, came crashing down upon the ark and crashing up against the sides of the ark, we saw that the ark bore the brunt of God's judgment. And Noah and his family inside the ark were safe and kept safe from the judgment of God. And we saw how the ark was a picture of Jesus that just as Noah was safe in the ark from the judgment of God, we are safe in Jesus Christ. We also saw, two weeks ago, how big a mistake it would be to think that the the judgment of God was something historical, something that happened thousands of years ago. It would be such a mistake for us to read Noah's ark and, and to think... My goodness, how angry God was with humanity for our sin. Look at his fierce judgment 2,000 years ago. That would be a very big mistake, wouldn't it? Because we saw from the book of Romans, chapter 1, that the wrath and judgment of God is falling upon the world now. Here and now, not a rain, but the falling of his fierce anger for the sin of the world. We saw that in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. And how is God's wrath seen today? Today. How is God's judgment upon the earth seen today? We saw in Romans 1 that God's wrath and anger is seen in God handing us over to the sinful desires of our hearts. Romans 1 verse 24, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of our bodies with one another. We saw in Romans chapter 1 that God has handed us over to shameful lusts, and God has handed us over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So do not look at Noah's Ark and think, I'm so glad that the judgment of God is over. It's not, says the Apostle Paul. It's coming down now, here and now around us, And it is manifested by God handing people over to their sinful desires. God is saying, if you don't want me as God, if you don't want to live my way, then you will not have me. And I will let let you live your own way. And that is a far, far greater cataclysm than the flood of Noah's Ark, isn't it? far more destructive. Because although although the rains fell and destroyed people's bodies, the judgment of God that is falling now is destroying souls. It is a far more fierce anger. Although it is, in a sense, invisible, we don't see physical rain and floods, it is a far more severe judgment in which we live right now. But as Noah was safe in the Lord's ark, brothers and sisters, we are safe in Jesus Christ. We are safe in the Saviour as God's anger falls from heaven upon a sinful world. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed in the middle of this cataclysm and if if you don't think that it is a cataclysm right now on this earth and in our nation if if you don't see the hand of God handing people over to their sin right now it's a very great blindness And, and I pray that God will open your eyes to see the enormity of it But in the midst of this cataclysm, we can know three things. We can know three things. Three things that Genesis chapter 8 teaches us. And that's what we're looking at today. I want you to see that as the judgment of God falls upon this world now in handing people over to their sin, that there are three things that Genesis 8 teaches us. Wonderful things. And the first thing is this. That in the midst of cataclysm, we can and must know that God will recreate this earth and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's the first thing you need to know. And we see this in Genesis chapter 8 verse 1. That in the midst of the flood, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a ruach over the earth. Now, why, why am I saying ruach? What's that word? It's not an English word. It's a Hebrew word. Michael, risk is just, I hate to put you on the spot, but actually, no, I really like putting you on the spot. So uh, you, you've just done Genesis 1 in Hebrew. Ruach means... And? Spirit, Spirit. well done. Okay, we can pass you on uh, your (laughs) Hebrew. It means wind, and it means breath, and it means spirit. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it refers in particular to the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1, verse 2, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Can you see in Genesis 8 that now the the, the cataclysm of the flood is subsiding, that the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the Ruach of God is now over the earth again. Recreation is about to begin. We've seen the flood, we've seen the destruction, and now the Spirit of God has has fallen again and there's now about to begin a work of recreation, of restoration of this earth that had been destroyed by flood. And we see in verse 1 and 2 the recreation of the firmament, that breathing space between the waters above and the waters below. Look there in verse 1. He sent a ruach over the earth and the waters receded. The springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heaven were closed and the rain stopped falling from the sky. So there, God is beginning to recreate what he had destroyed, the firmament. And then in verses three to five, we see the recreation of the gathered waters and dry land. Look there at verse three. The water steadily receded from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Can you see how God now is, is uh, gathering the waters again And recreating that dry land, vital for human life and animal life. Notice also that the ark rests on Mount Ararat, which many scholars believe is in Turkey today. How lucky that the ark landed on the mountain, right? How lucky that it landed the right... And just on a part of the mountain where it was flat and stable and that the ark didn't end up in the middle of the Pacific Ocean (laughs) because it had no propulsion and Noah and the animals would have starved to death. And how lucky that the ark didn't end up on the side of a mountain where it would have tumbled down and destroying everything in sight. How lucky, right? God puts the ark exactly in the right place at the right time to keep Noah and his family safe. God has got you. Where you are in your life right now, there is nothing random about that, nothing at all. You're exactly where God wants you, exactly. And you've just got to see why he's put you where you are. But the point is that God was recreating that dry land. And then we see God recreating the day six Animal and human life. So on the sixth day of creation, God made the animal life, human life, and now in verses 15 to 17, we see God is about to begin recreating the animal kingdom and human life. Verse 15 God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. And we are all descendants of Noah and his wife and we are all descendants of of one of his sons, either Shem, Ham or Japheth and their wives. God in his mercy re created human life and filled the earth again with his image bearers. Now what we must see here, brothers and sisters, is this, that although we are in this cataclysm of judgment right now, of God handing his people over to their sins, we must learn from Genesis chapter 8 that God is not going to leave this earth under his wrath and judgment, but that he has a plan. He has a plan to remake this earth, a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be so much better than the first time because when God remade the world after the flood, the hearts of human beings were still filled with sin and rebellion. But in the new heaven and the new earth, Sin and rebellion will be completely wiped out and we will be freed to live the way God created us to live. We, you must know that in this time of judgment that Jesus is going to make a new creation and you are going to be a part of that new creation if you are in his son, if you are in Christ, By faith. Turn with me to to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. This This is what's in store. The judgment is not going to keep going indefinitely. Because God showed the Apostle John in Revelation 21 a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Go down to verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is what God has in store for you if you are in Jesus Christ. The judgment is falling as the floods fell upon Noah and the ark. But in the same way, God recreated the earth for Noah and us. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. When we flew back from America at the start of the year, it was a pretty tough flight, actually, from Washington to Dubai. That's 13 hours. Dubai to Sydney, 14 hours, back to back, and then another two... No one made us do this, by the way. I'm not looking for sympathy, but I'm just saying it's, it's a long way. And then another... Of course, you've got to add that last two hours, don't you? Sydney back to Hobart. There's always that, that killer last flight. And sitting in economy for close to 30 hours... You know, it's, it's hard to fit a hippo in economy. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it's even painful... But you're going home. (laughs) And so you don't mind. You don't mind. Because we were going home. And so you don't, you barely notice the discomfort of the flight. Because you're thinking about home. You're thinking about seeing your family. Back with our church. Back home. It, It changed everything about the discomfort of the flight. Is work... A slog for you? Is marriage a a, a slog for you? Relationships are hard for you? You're heading home, the Bible says. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Keep going. Persevere. Is your body breaking up like a shipwreck on a reef? Is it? Well, there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new body coming for you. Keep going. Hang in there. There's a certain hope for you. Does this broken world weary you? I know it does because I talk to you. And, and so many of you are distressed by what you what you see happening in our world and in, in our own city. We drive around at night and our city is bathed in red light. That's just a a little thing amongst so many things that distress us about our society. Hang in there. You're on the way home. There's a new heaven and a new earth. God is preparing it for you and a new body for you. Keep going. It's a certain hope. Be encouraged by that. And here's the second thing that Genesis 8 teaches us. And speaking of hope, my first point was the longest. The second point's a little less long. The third point will be the shortest. Okay, so I've given you hope. (laughs) Secondly, God has given a part, given us a part of the new heaven and the new earth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 8 again. Genesis 8. And I am so excited about this part of Genesis 8. It's a delightful part of the flood account, and what it teaches us is extraordinary. After 40 days, this is after 40 days after the floods begin to recede, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark, and he sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And my translation puts an exclamation mark next to that. Does yours? I love that (laughs) because it's exciting. There's an olive leaf. It's meant to be exciting. and That's the symbol, by the way, of the United Nations, the dove with the olive leaf. That's the origin This is the origin of that symbol. When the dove returned to him, I just read that, then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. Verse 12, he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. The raven and the dove. The raven is black, the dove is light, the raven eats carrion and death, the dove eats seed the raven, according to Levitical law, is an unclean animal. You weren't allowed to eat ravens. They couldn't be used for sacrifice. The doves were clean. You could eat them and use them for sacrifice. The raven is a symbol of judgment in the Old Testament. The dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, as it was in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God, hovering like a bird... It's bird language that's used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Brooding over the earth. The the dove is a symbol of the Spirit. And of course, the Spirit descended on Jesus Christ at his baptism. How? Like a dove. Like a dove. The raven, its first flight. It flew to and fro, no place to land. The dove's first flight is the same. Judgment Still shrouding the earth. But after seven days, and that's how long it took God to, to, to make the earth in the first place, the dove goes on its second flight and returns with that freshly plucked olive leaf. And then after another seven days, the dove goes on its third flight and it doesn't come back. Why? Judgment has ended, it's found a home. The earth has now been restored and it's now suitable for animal and human life. Now, I I want you to picture Noah, Noah and his family. They're in the ark. They're on Mount Ararat. They can't really see what's going on across the earth. And they are in the ark and they are thinking, is this ever going to end? How long were they in the ark for? About a year, about a year. That's a long time in a boat. I, I used to go with David Freeze on his boat and one night was enough for me on a boat. I'm not good with boats. A year on a boat, does not, that's not my idea of pleasure. And Noah and his family, wondering, is this ever going to end? Is judgment ever going to end? And what does God do? He sends Noah an olive branch. What is that? It's evidence. It's a piece of the new creation that God is making for Noah and his family. God is remaking the earth and God sends a piece of that to Noah and his family in the ark and they can see this, they can see the olive branch and they can see, yes, God is keeping his promise God is remaking the earth, he's replenishing the earth There's an olive branch. It was a symbol, a piece of the new creation that gave them absolute certainty of what was to come. What joy that little olive branch must have given Noah and his family. Tangible proof that God was graciously re- remaking the earth after the flood. God has not sent you an olive branch but he has given you a part of the new heaven and the new earth. Did you know that? Did you know that God has given you a part of the new heaven and earth right now? A part of heaven has been given to you now if you are in Jesus Christ by faith. And it's not an olive branch, it is God himself. Please turn with me to Ephesians 1. We really must see this together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God has given you an olive branch from the new heaven and the new earth and it is himself. The guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire full possession of it. Because that's what God has in store for you in the new heaven and the new earth. Himself. His face-to-face presence, and glory. That's your heavenly inheritance, and you've already received a part of that inheritance, says the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit, as a down payment, says Paul, you've received a part of that inheritance now so that you can know for certain that the full inheritance is coming and is on the way. Now, if we are not excited about this, brothers and sisters, there's, there's something really wrong, isn't there? If we are not excited by the fact, first of all, that the new heaven and the new earth will, will be about God, about Jesus Christ, receiving him, being around him, enjoying him, worshipping him, then there's a problem. Because that's the, the, the greatest gift that God could give us. Himself. And if we're not excited about that, we have to go back and examine our own hearts. There's a problem. But if you are looking forward to being in the new heaven and the new earth with Jesus Christ, then the olive branch has already been given to you. The Holy Spirit has already been given to you. Christ is already in your hearts. You are already... With him, says the Apostle Paul, the Spirit has made you his temple now. That's why you're so conscious of your sin, by the way. (laughs) We we thought that to be given the Holy Spirit would give us a kind of warm glow inside and make everything rosy and happy, right? That's what we thought. We might have even hoped that. I've got the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a, a feeling of energy or warmth. No. Your consciousness of your sin is evidence of the Holy Spirit. God is in you. Of course you are sensitive to sin and your failings because God is in you and you can't help but to see it. That's why you forgive people, right? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. The Spirit of God, who is a forgiving and a gracious God, that's why you love to forgive others and are gracious to others. That's why, for you, the things of this world, money, power, fame, are so pathetic. So pathetic, this grasp for money, power, and fame. It's pathetic to you because you've got the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you. And when you've got God, the passing things of this world, we hold very, very lightly indeed. That's why you care about the salvation of your family. That's why you agonize over the souls of others. That's the spirit in you, that deposit, that olive leaf. God, The God of heaven come down in you now. He cares about the salvation of the world, and that's why you care about it. That's why you're so careful about what you do with your bodies. Because the Apostle Paul says, our bodies, not just our our hearts, not just the invisible part of us, but the visible part of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. I hope you are, you're very encouraged by this. I, I really do. That as the, the judgment and the wrath of God falls upon this world, God handing people over to their sin, and it all looks so hopeless, not only is there the certain hope of a new heaven and a new earth, But a piece of that new heaven and new earth has already been deposited in your hearts, God, the Holy Spirit. And that brings me to my third and final point. Turn back to Genesis 8. That the new heaven and earth centers on God's sacrificed son. Genesis chapter 8, we're looking finally at verses 20 to 22. And Noah's just come off the ark. Now, now when you and I turn up in a new place, what's the first thing we want to do? What's the first thing? Where's where's the coffee shop? Right? Where's, Where's the Wi-Fi? These are the We turn up a new place. These are the first things we need. What else? The toilets, did you say? Right, yes, right. Noah, he comes off the ark. The earth, there's nothing. Everything's been obliterated, but God is now regrowing the vegetation and so on. He, He doesn't have a house. No cafe, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. He gets off the ark. What's the first thing he does? He builds an altar. The first thing he does is builds an altar and sacrifices some of the clean animals on it as a thank offering to God. His first instinct is not, I need to build a shelter for me and the family, but thank you, Father, (laughs) Thank you, praise you for saving me from the cataclysm and I worship you. And by worshipping and thanking God in the form of a sacrifice, Noah was saying the only reason I am saved is because something or someone has dealt with my sin, has suffered in my place. My sin has been atoned for. Thank you, And praise you, Father. That was Noah when he came off the ark. Did I even finish reading that bit? Verse 21, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And we'll come back to those words in a couple of weeks, but I I, I want us just to notice and finish with this precious thought that the new heaven and the new earth is centred around praising and thanking God and centred around his sacrifice for sin his atonement for our sin. And did you know that when we're in heaven, we're going to see the sacrificed Saviour, the one who died for our sins. I'm looking now at, you don't have to turn to it, let me read it to you, Revelation 5 verse 6. John's vision of heaven, what does he see? He's in heaven and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. At the centre of heaven is the sacrificed lamb, Jesus Christ. And he goes on, verse 11. I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, and as you listen to this, know that this will be your song for all eternity. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. For all eternity, brothers and sisters, we're going to see our Saviour. And we'll see those wounds in his hands, in his feet and in his sides because the resurrected Christ still bore those wounds. His body was glorified, yet he still bears those wounds. And we are going to see the Lamb who was slain forever and ever, and that will not sadden us. It will fill our hearts to bursting with praise for his love and his mercy and his grace. For all eternity, we will be Worshipping Jesus Christ for his grace that he loved us so much that he died on the cross in our place and bore our sin. We will never tire of praising Christ for his love and mercy. This is what we have to look forward to. In the middle of the cataclysm, Don't despair. Don't despair. Rejoice. God is going to remake a new heaven and a new earth. And you can be absolutely certain of that. Why? Because you already have a piece of it. God is already in your hearts. And we look forward to gathering around the throne together. I I look forward to being there with the people I'm seeing right in front of me now. I earnestly pray that every single one of us will be there around the throne praising our Lord for his grace and mercy forever. And what a delight that will be. So let's continue to worship him now. Invite our musicians up and we're going to sing You Rescued Us. You Rescued Us.